Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. My name is Eric, to be the pastor here. We're in this series called Vision, talking about kind of some of the five basic purposes of our church, kind of these basic phrases. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to read God's word this morning. Our text today is out of Acts 2, 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Would you stand and we'll pray. God, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together as a family uh, and worship you, to hear from your word, to, to fellowship. Thank you for this beautiful weather. And God, we just ask that you'd be here in our midst and that everyone here would hear the word from you that they need to hear. In your name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, Tuesday night, I got punched in the face. It's true. Um, now, it was barely a punch, but it was still a punch in the face, and actually, it felt so alive. Tuesday night, uh, Matt, our worship leader, and I went down to First Avenue, kind of historic club in Minneapolis, to go see Jimmy Eat World in concert. This is the picture I took, so we were right about here. Uh, it was an awesome show, but there were some people there who really wanted to get a mosh pit going. Now, Jimmy Eat World's not really mosh pit-type music, but they thought, let's slam into each other. And so there were some guys kind of being obnoxious, and uh, one of them was just bouncing into me and some other ladies behind us. And so I got on my best like dad and pastor voice, and I just looked at him, and I was like, guys, no. Right in the middle of the concert, and one looked at me and stopped and kind of walked away. This is a packed in, and the other one got pretty upset, and so he threw a punch at me, and it just barely hit my cheek, um, and I was like, no. And uh, eventually, security came and took him away, um, but it, it was a really fun night, a great show, but it showed that people are so hungry for live entertainment, for music, and you can tell from the band's point of view, they were so thankful to get to tour again after so many years of not being able to tour. And being in that moment of with a lot of fans and hearing everyone kind of sing these lyrics maybe that they've known for 20 years uh, at the top of their lungs and everyone just ha- trying to have a good time and fun, just made me think about like, how we all long for that kind of connection. And for about 90 minutes, as the band was playing and we were all screaming these lyrics at the top of our lungs... We were truly connected, and there was something that was uniting us. And then the show stopped. Jimmy World walked off stage, and instead of doing an encore, the sound guy played My Heart Will Go On by Titanic, which was an interesting choice. Um, I think they're like, no one's going to start a fight after a show to that song. So it was funny to watch all these millennials and Gen Xers like, singing that song on the way out. But then we all went on our separate way. And I'll probably never see those people again. Now, because I'm me... I ended up standing next to someone I, didn't, I knew from uh, 
Bible camp 20 years ago. I was like, oh, hey, it's good to see him. But normally I don't bump into people again. And so thinking about that kind of connection in the community, it's like, man, there is something there. We're all together. We're united in this purpose. But then it just goes away. And I think all of us are longing for that kind of connection, that kind of friendship of sharing in some kind of experience and having people know you and being known. I know personally, I felt lonely many times in my life. I don't know if you've felt that way, but there are times I just feel lonely. See, as a pastor, a lot of times people know the details of my story because I, I tell stories from stage, but rarely do people know the depths of my heart. I often feel seen, but not known. Can you resonate with that at all? Ronald uh, Orlheiser, in the, his book, The Restless Heart, Finding Our Spiritual Home in Times of Loneliness, says this. He says, all of us experience, to a greater or lesser extent, a loneliness that results from not having enough anchors, enough absolutes, and enough permanent roots to make us feel secure and stable in a world characterized by transience. I think more and more of these days I'm seeing people who don't have enough anchors, enough absolutes in their life, enough permanent roots. And so they're experiencing and encountering this kind of loneliness. And in particular, I think men are afflicted with this loneliness even more. And I think we all are, but I think in particular men are even more. One in five men say they have no close friendships. I wouldn't be surprised if that's actually even higher. Men are less likely than women to share their personal feelings and receive emotional support from friends. 41% of women, which is still pretty low, but only 21% in men. Men are less likely to tell their friends that they love them. 49% of women will say that to each other, but only 25% of men. And I think we're in this epidemic of loneliness where we're not, we don't want to share. And there's kind of cultural things, too, that says, like, especially guys, we can't share with each other. I'm a big fan. I know I shouldn't admit it, but I have the TV show Friends. Anyone else like the TV show Friends? Okay, good. There's a few others out there. Yeah, I see those hands going up. There's a great scene where the guys, Joey and Chandler and Ross, find out that the girls share every details with each other, but they don't tend to share. And so they're like, okay, let's try that. Let's, let's like open up our hearts and share with each other. And one goes first, and he shares. And the other guy's like, yeah, I felt that way too. And he's like, what? This is a great. So then the other guy shares, and then what he shares freaks out his friend, and he says, I said share, not scare. And they're like, oh, this never happened. Let's never talk about our feelings again. And it's a funny scene in a sitcom, but honestly, I think that's oftentimes how men in particular, but oftentimes people feel. That if we truly bared our souls, we'd scare, not share. But see, research shows that social isolation can weaken the immune system and make someone more likely to suffer from a variety of ailments, including Alzheimer's, high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, and cancer. When we don't have meaningful friendships and meaningful relationships in our lives, we suffer consequences whether we realize that we're doing those consequences or not. When we live in isolation, we can easily lose perspective on life. Oftentimes when we're just kind of more isolated, our lows can be lower and our highs can be higher. We don't have people kind of giving us helpful perspectives. We can even lose perspective on the fact that we have an enemy who's playing for keeps, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy from us. See, sheep are rarely attacked in a herd. Sheep are attacked when they become isolated from the rest of the flock. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. See, our enemy has a strategy. 
He wants to kill and destroy every good thing. And so he's going to seek to isolate us and not have us have those close connections and friendships that we all truly long for. And you see this in predators. Oftentimes they will not attack a flock when they're together, but they're going to seek to isolate someone who's hurting or broken. And that's when they attack. Disconnected people tend to be more selfish too. If the sum total of a person's life is defined by his schedule, his agenda, his needs, and his desires, chances are good that person is suffering from a good dose of selfishness. So over time, a disconnected person becomes self-absorbed. So what do we do to solve this epidemic of loneliness that is so common in our culture? I read this week, someone said that Americans are more isolated and lonely than any other culture on our planet right now. So what do we do? Well, you could join a CrossFit gym, maybe find some community. But I, again, I don't know if that's really going to help your spiritual walk or your parenting or your marriage. You know, you could, you could join, uh, you know, have your kids do a ton of sports and show up and get to know those parents in the stands. But are you really going to bury your heart on the bleachers while you're cheering for your kids? You could join a weekly D&D group or, you know, a bowling league or any of those things that are good. But is that really going to help solve that deep ache inside your soul to be known, to know others, to have deep friendships that matter? See, all those things are good, but I think God's word lays out something different that could truly make a huge impact in our lives. I think this is one thing that sets Christianity apart, really, from everyone else. That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're in this series, like I said, called Vision, and we're kind of addressing our kind of our five purposes and laid out in five phrases that we say a lot. On uh, Liberty Weekend, Pastor Ryan started us off with Jesus changes everything. We believe that at our core, at our being, that the best way to live is to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to be like Jesus. He's our rabbi, he's our master, he's our teacher. And so naturally, we want to tell others about Jesus. That's the foundation for everything. If we don't believe this, then what hope do we have for the future? Number two, last week we talked about this, that everyone has a next step. Always journeying, never arriving. Wherever you are, there's a next step you can take. And we want to bring others alongside of us, that we're meant to have these face-to-face, one-on-one interactions. That's truly where growth can happen. That God has planted inside of us the seed for greatness, but greatness can only be achieved when we say, okay, I'm going to take that next step in following Jesus And also, I'm going to invest in others and bring them alongside of me. That's why we have this tool called the Green Book. We want to invite you to to disciple someone one-on-one, to be discipled one-on-one, and then disciple someone else one-on-one. Today, our big idea is that everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs somebody. See, when God created us, he created us in his image. And God is community in himself, Father, Son, Spirit, who has always existed in community in a perfect loving dance from all of eternity. And then now he created us and invites us into that dance, into that relationship. But because we're created in the image of a God who is a community to himself, we were designed to have community to ourselves. We were designed to have deep friendships, people who know us, of doing life with others. When, when God created the world, he said everything was good. What's the one thing he said is not good? that Adam was alone. Even the beauty of of paradise and having a perfect quiet time with God was not enough. That sounds scandalous, but the reality is God created us to have community and friendships with others. That's what we're going to look at today, that everybody needs somebody. 
We're going to give you some tools on how we think we help you can find some community and, and to be known and known. But I don't want to lose sight of this, that everybody needs somebody. No one can walk alone. Let's dive back into our text here. All the believers, this is the early church, brand new. They just received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And now they're living out this new faith in Jesus, their rabbi, their master, their teacher. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, communion, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Very generous. And they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke, and we love Dr. Luke. Our second year as a church, we went through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and then in our third year, we went through the whole uh, book of Acts. Luke is actually, our author, paid one of the highest compliments in the New Testament. Paul, the church planter who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, says at one point in his ministry career that everyone else has abandoned him. He's all alone except for Luke. Luke is the only one there with Paul. Everyone gives up on Paul, but Luke is still there. Everyone went home, but Luke is still there. Luke's going to the prison where Paul's at and asking him, hey, Paul, how you doing? I'm here for you, man. One time, Paul was beaten up. He was shipwrecked, and he's adrift on the open ocean. And where's Dr. Luke? He's right there next to him, like drifting on the same piece of wood. He's like, Paul, I'm here with you, man. I'm, I'm drifting with you, but we're, we're, we're here to the bitter end. And Dr. Luke decided, I'm going to serve Paul. I'm going to help Paul. I'm going to be his traveling companion, his friend, his researcher, his helper, his personal physician, and faithfully serve Paul. But some of us, maybe we're called to be like Paul, to teach, to preach, to lead kids back there, to lead community groups. And some of you, though, you can be more like Dr. Luke. You're assisting and coming alongside those who are serving others. Maybe you feel like, I could never get on stage. How can you serve those that are? You feel like you could never be the lead teacher back in kids' ministry. Well, how can you serve those who are? I can never lead a community group. Well, how can you show up with the gift of hospitality and serve those that are? I love the partnership we see of Dr. Luke and Paul. See, everybody needs somebody. An ancient church tradition tells us this about Luke. He died at the age of 84. Now, if that's true, that's about twice the life expectancy of a normal guy at this time. So it's like, was he a good doctor? Clearly, uh, he lived about twice as long as, you know, the average age. But it says he died at the age of 84, full of the Holy Spirit. What a great legacy. I mean, that'd be all of us. We die full of the Holy Spirit at a good old age. And he's serving the Lord faithfully. Well, back to Acts chapter 2, written by Dr. Luke. We love this passage here in Mosaic. It's one of the earliest and purest descriptions of church in the New Testament. It's been kind of our foundational verse for community uh, since we really started uh, Mosaic. It's believers meeting and living life together, not just on Sunday in some church building, but in homes as they're learning to live out the way of Jesus together in their cities. One of the best authors I've read on community and life together is a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, he, he wrote right around the time of World War II. 
And right before that, he wrote this book called Life Together, where he had a group of seminary students who came together to live out the way of Jesus. And they were uh, opposing Adolf Hitler and ended up going to a concentration camp. He ended up actually dying. But some of his, uh, his works on community, I think, are so good. I just want to share two kind of longer quotes that Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes. He says this, It is by God's grace that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly, tangibly, around God's word and sacrament, baptism and communion, in this world. Not all Christians partake of this grace. The imprisoned, the sick, the lonely who live in the diaspora, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible community is grace. And then he goes on to say, Christ opened up the way to God and to one another. Now Christians can live with each other in peace. They can love and serve one another. They can become one. But they continue to do so only through Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus Christ are we one. Only through him are we bound together. He remains the one and only mediator through eternity. What Bonhoeffer is writing is that we need to remember that the gift of coming together, Packers fans and Vikings fans, Democrats and Republicans, and, and all those differences that separate us, that what unites us in Christ is so much stronger than what divides us. And that is a grace we receive freely from God. We should not take this for granted, that we get to come together united in Christ, that we don't do this in our own passions or skills or emotions, but it's only through Christ Jesus that we are united. So when we gather on a Sunday morning, we need to think we are united in Christ together. When you gather in your community group on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, think you're walking into a space that we are united together in Christ. When you gather for your Wednesday morning men's Bible study, your Saturday morning women's Bible study, you walk in and say, we are united together in Christ We're not just a group of people who are consuming religious goods and services, amen? We are united in Christ together, and that's the only way we can live in peace and grace. This isn't something that everyone gets to have. We are blessed to have community. In the early church, they met together, and and they had this idea that we are united in Christ. We are Christ's body. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you and you and you and me. And together we see this in each other. The body of Christ come together. It's a supernatural as well as a natural thing. And that's what we need to have our minds set on. Because too often we can just kind of, you know, our own personal preferences or whatever. Or, you know, uh, are the people in my community group kind of weird or I don't know, maybe I'll get, you know, whatever. Instead, we're united in Christ. The same spirit is in us. And now, what are we going to come together and we're going to lift up Christ and God is going to be glorified because we're coming together. So the early church, they met together as a large group, but also in these small groups. Circles and rows. Ryan mentioned this. This has been one of our phrases from the very, very beginning that we talk a lot about, that circles are better than rows. doesn't mean rows are bad. It's essential for us to come together, to sing, to open God's word when we receive communion together, when we celebrate baptisms Rows are good, but circles are better than rows because your row doesn't know. Your row doesn't know when you're struggling. Your row doesn't know when you just lost your job. Your row doesn't know when you're battling infertility. Your row doesn't know how desperately you want to find a spouse. Your row doesn't know all these things, 
But when we gather together in circles, that's when we see each other face to face. We can share with one another. And being a disciple of Jesus means orienting our lives around others just as Jesus did. It means laboring for the sake of others. Andy Stanley is a pastor in Atlanta, and here's how he writes it. He says, this is what God has called the church to be about, creating environments where authentic community can take place, building relationships, transforming communities where people are experiencing oneness with God and oneness with one another, communities that are so satisfying, so unique, and so compelling that they create thirst in a watching world. I love that quote, that this is what we're all about, creating these authentic communities where people can be known, where they can know others. We're, we're creating oneness with God and others. We talked last week how Paul's prayer was that their love would overflow, and that idea of a geyser shooting up towards God, as well as a flood spilling out to those around us. In that same way, oneness with God, oneness with others, as we are in community together. Terry Virgo, uh, he wrote, in the Spirit-Filled Church, he's a, he's a Brit and a contemplative charismatic. He wrote this way, he says, we are not casual friends. We are blood brothers and sisters in covenant with God and one another. We will only arrive at the maturity God has planned for us as we encourage, exhort, and admonish one another. As we come together and say, keep going, don't give up as we speak the truth in love, as we challenge one another and say, hey, what you're doing is not good. You're drifting into a space and I'm worried about you. That's the only way we're gonna arrive at community, at maturity, is through community. For friendships to flourish, there must be openness and honesty and loyalty. You must be willing to come out from behind our masks and religious jargon and get to know each other openly. You're probably wondering, why do I have Legos on my table? Well, I love Legos. Matt and I both do, a bunch of us. Uh, I love Star Wars, so this is like perfect. And I was thinking about this week, I was like, thinking a lot about Legos. Number one, I was like, for true community to happen, first we gotta take off our mask, which is the true way, not the false way, where we need to take off our mask, get to know each other. Boba Fett's mask, take it off. But also think about Legos. Like one Lego is not fulfilling its purpose by itself, Right? It can hurt your foot. You step on it. Man, your kids leave your Legos out. It's like, what in the world? The pain of a Lego is compounded beyond what it should be. It must be a supernatural thing. I don't know what it is. But Legos together can form what it's supposed to be. In the same way, I want you to picture just a Lego by itself is not performing what it's supposed to be. It's meant to be connected with others. We are Legos. We're meant to be connected with others. I'm so paranoid about dropping this. We're meant to be with others. Now, the other thing, we've talked about this before in the past, we're all different sizes of Legos. Some of us, like me, have bigger Lego connectors. Maybe it's a, I have a 12 or 24 piece, I'm not sure exactly. So I can be connected to a lot of different people. And I, I like hanging out with lots of people. You may have a Lego connector of just two or four. And that's okay. Once your Lego piece is full, it's full. But here's the thing. I'm gonna get in your business a little bit. You have to be very wise about who's on your Lego connector. For instance, for me, there are times when I know my Lego connector is full, but as a pastor, if I want to get to know others that are new to the church or perhaps invest in someone else in leadership, I have to kind of quietly take some people off my Lego connector for a season to put others on because I'm going to intentionally invest in that friendship and that relationship. Now, 
We are the body of Christ together. And there's something that we need to be committed to our local expression of the church. God designed us to be committed to one local body, not just the global church at large. So we need to be committed to each other. And so, here's the thing. I'm going to get in your business. Who's on your Lego connector? If people have left your church and are now doing other things, maybe not even walking with Jesus, is your Lego connector filled with those people who are no longer walking in faith with you? You may need to take them off your Lego connector so that you can choose to say, I'm united in Christ with the same spirit with the people in my community group and my Bible study. And now these are the people I'm going to focus more on and connect with because we are walking with Christ together on Sunday mornings, on Tuesday night at my small group, Thursday night at my small group, on my Saturday morning wins Bible study. Now I know that sounds awful. I'm not saying don't friend him anymore. I'm not saying you have to like block him on Facebook. But are you being intentional about who you're spending time with? Because all of us only have a finite amount of time and energy and Lego connectors. So who's on your Lego connector? Are the people you're connecting with, are they leading you more towards Jesus? Are they a good influence in your life? Are they a negative influence? Or are they just kind of a passive non-influence? So again, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm just asking you to pray about it, seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, and just do some kind of self-discovery this week and just say, God, who's on my Lego connectors? Kind of help me understand how big is my connector? How many people can I do life with and really keep up close friendships and relationships with? And are these the same people I'm, I'm doing life with in Christ as a body of believers? See, God has put this in, in our hearts to want to connect. See, I think, I think bars flourish not necessarily because there's that many alcoholics. I think there are a lot of people who struggle with alcoholism, obviously, in our church and addiction. But I think bars flourish more because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and be known, to love and be lo loved. And so I think a lot of people seek community at the price of a few beers. I think this is why I, I got to go with Mike Berg uh, and tailgate with him uh, last year. It was cold, but it was so fun. And we're outside, and, and, and this community is being shaped, and people are, are, are just crazy for hours and hours, and they're cooking up everything. And why is tailgating so, so popular? People are looking for this kind of community. But are they really known and loved? Can they be vulnerable at a tailgate party outside of U.S. Bank Stadium? Probably not. And so what happens, we're filling our lives with this false community, this false sense of, of being known. And for the moment, while you're at that Jimmy Eat World show, it feels great. And when you're at the Vikings game and you're cheering on, it feels good. But then you go home and you sense that true loneliness. And, and, and when your thoughts go to dark places, you have no one to reach out to. That is not what God wants for us. I came across this great quote in a book. It says, there are those who leave a church to avoid working through uncomfortable or painful relations with others in the church family. Running away does provide immediate relief from the awkwardness of a hurtful relationship. It is the easy way out in the short term. But people who leave to escape the hard work of conflict resolution are often destined to repeat the cycle of relational dysfunction with another person in another church somewhere else in town. It is a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. Joseph Hellerman in the book, When the Church Was a Family. 
As a general rule, it's the people who stay who grow. Again, getting in your business a little. We need to get back to kind of what more our parents and grandparents had, which was a stick-to-itness, a willing to commit to a community. There are reasons to leave a church, a job, things like that, a relationship. I understand that. If abuse is happening, if false doctrine is being teached, being taught. But I think we're in this culture now where I had a bad interaction with someone in my small group, but now it's awkward, so I'm just going to leave and go somewhere else because it's so much easier than doing Matthew 18 and saying, hey, when you said this thing, it kind of hurt my feelings. Can we talk about this? Did you intend to hurt me? You did? Oh, wow, let's, let's talk through this. Let's pray. Let's resolve our conflict together. That's the way of Christ. But it's so easy just to walk away, to just kind of ghost someone and say, you know what, they... I'm just, I'm not a fan anymore, so let's not do the hard work of conflict resolution. Now, again, hear me. There are reasons. Spiritual abuse, you need to get out of there. You know, false doctrine being taught, you gotta get out of there. If you disagree with the mission and vision of that faith community, you need to not commit to that then. But if you're united in Christ and you're on board with the mission and the vision and it's not spiritual abuse and you just have some conflict you need to work through, you got to do the hard work of working through it. Church, that's what we got to do. And if you're not comfortable with that person, grab someone from your community group. Grab a leader. Grab someone you trust, hopefully. And say, hey, can the three of us sit down? There's just there's some awkwardness here, and I want to walk through this. I want to work through this. Because it's when we stay planted and rooted, that's when we grow. When I see people who kind of jump from church to church to church, they don't ever develop roots deep enough to be challenged, to be exhorted, to be encouraged, to be admonished, and they're not growing. Again, there are times to leave a church and you feel God calling you to something else. That's the key, though. I think more often you're going to be called to something than out of something. So when you feel God calling you, hey, to this ministry, to this church, follow that prompting. But if you're just a little uncomfortable with a relationship with someone in the church and you need to work things out, Let's do the hard work, church, of working it out, right? That's what families do. You don't just stop talking to your spouse or your son or daughter because there's a little bit of tension. Hopefully. Like we got we to work this out. All right, moving on. Back to Acts 2.42. The de- believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing in meals, and prayer. You write these down. What do they devote themselves to? Number one, biblical teaching. Here at Mosaic, we strive, Pastor Ryan and I and others, to give you biblical teaching. This is why we do sermon-based small groups um, uh, during the school year. Because what we think is if you can hear it, if you can see it, if you can write it down and then discuss it, that's gonna help you get those truths down deep into your heart, mind, and soul. So our Wednesday morning men's group and Saturday morning women's group are gonna go through the book of Romans. But then our community groups will be going through the book of Genesis with the rest of the church uh, starting on October 9th. And so how's it going to work? October 9th, you're going to hear teaching on Genesis 1. You're created on purpose, for purpose, in the image of God. You're going to gather the community group, and you've heard it, you've seen it, you've wrote it down, you've discussed it with someone, now you're going to discuss it. Now, 
How do we live out this truth? What does it mean, the Imago Dei? What does it mean that we're creating the image of a triune God? How do we live this out? That's where it goes from teaching to conversation. It goes from your head to your heart to your hands. That's why we do sermon-based groups. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to biblical teaching. Number two, where do they devote themselves? To fellowship, to koinonia. It's, it's life together, not just on your own. It's, 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 it's think fellowship of the ring. It's together for a purpose. We're, we're gathered together because we have an enemy and we need each other. We need this kind of true fellowship. They devote themselves to sharing meals, amen? We said from the beginning, we believe in creating community through eating together and playing together. It's so important. That's what we like to do, you know, once every six to eight weeks, a potluck meal or pizza after service or some kind of cookout here because we believe in eating together. Coming to the table was a, was a, a sacred thing in the early church's culture. Who's at your table? Who are you inviting to eat with you? This is so, so important. And number four, they devote themselves to prayer. We want to have time in all our community groups for prayer. And here's one thing I want to, I want to um, exhort and encourage and admonish our community groups this fall to. Is, can we make a commitment that we're all going to grow in this? Maybe you're someone, you, you, you do not feel comfortable praying out loud at all. What's that next step you can take in your community group, in that group of six, 12 adults? Maybe you're going to say one sentence in your prayer. Maybe next week you feel comfortable praying for, you know, two sentences. Prayer, simply talking to God. Prayer can't be just something just your leaders are doing. They all devoted themselves to prayer. So let, let's grow in this and, 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 and say, no one's judging your prayers, I promise. No one is judging your prayers. Let's all grow in this prayer. Where, where do the Christians meet? They met in three places. Large group gathering. That's why Sunday mornings are important. They came together as a, as a large group in the temple. They also met in homes in smaller groups. That's why we do community groups. That's what the early church did. They met together in these smaller groups in homes. And we also see throughout the New Testament, they met one-on-one. We, we, we see, you know, Philip going to meet the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, we see, you know, that, that Peter in, in uh, Acts chapter 10, he, he's given a vision and, and he's talking and he's going to then go meet with Cornelius and then the whole household. And so, these are things I think we, we need to have in our rhythms of life as a spiritual follower of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. All the experts say people will give you no more than two time slots per week. Because that, that, we're maxed out with life and activities, things like that. And so, so from day one, our church said, okay, that's what the experts say. We want you to commit to Sunday mornings and your community group, your small group, and that's it. Because we say that's all people commit to. I am going to encourage you, would you contemplate thinking about giving us three time slots this fall? Up your game to the next level. What does that look like? Committing to Sunday mornings to your community group, and then maybe you're going to do one-on-one discipleship with someone in the Green Book. Maybe you're going to join the men's Bible study as well as a community group, or the women's Bible study as well as a community group. Uh, maybe it's not the Green Book. Maybe it's just you're meeting one-on-one with someone else because you just need some accountability. You need some more encouragement. You're going to meet a friend once a week to do a prayer walk. You're going to meet with your kids and play at the park until it gets too cold to play outside. You know, what is that third thing? I want to call you to just, what's that higher standard to say, hey, we don't want to just be average Christians, amen? We don't want to be an average church. What what can we do that's going to that next step? Everyone has a next step to take. So I'm encouraged to think through that. How can you change your calendar that You've got three places in your life 
You're giving to God, to his church, to discipleship, to community, to fellowship together. Sunday mornings, a community group, and then one other thing, a Bible study, one-on-one relationship, because everybody needs somebody. Here's what I love. Larry Osborne, pastor in California, he wrote a book called Sticky Church. He says, a community group takes our good intentions and puts them on the calendar. That's so good. Because I think so often, otherwise, we say, yeah, yeah, I, w- I want to meet and fellowship with people, but I, I can't commit to a community group, so I'm just going to do that some other time. And then what happens? Months go by. You have good intentions. See, this puts it on the calendar. You, you, maybe your desire is, I want to pray with people on a regular basis, and months go by, and it doesn't happen. But what happens when you're in a community group? You know you're going to be praying together. You know you're going to be discussing God's word. That's why it's so good to put things on your calendar on a weekly basis. And I know all my P's on the Myers-Briggs scale, you're like, I hate things on my calendar that are weekly. I get it. I love weekly things and, and having a very planned out calendar. But we need help to put our good intentions on the calendar. Um, here, here's what uh, uh, the Green Book, which is our kind of our discipleship, says about community groups. Community groups are where the saints gather intimately and become equipped more specifically to do the work of the ministry and be church. Community groups are where people are personally pastored. There are many gifts that do not have a place at a weekend gathering, yet they are vital and essential for a vibrant, healthy church. A community group setting provides the opportunity for many prayers to be prayed, specific needs to be met, burdens to be shared, opinions to be aired, and homes to be opened. And this is why we think this is so important. Now, here's the amazing thing, right? We have an insanely high percentage of our people who have signed up for a community group. Like, I'm preaching this message to get you to sign up, and you guys have already done it. So, uh, hopefully, though, I'm just helping you, like, commit to this. And maybe some of you who are still on the sidelines, maybe think, okay, I do want to get in the game and try this out, right? Like, I've reached out to some of my pastor friends, and, like, okay, Eagle Brook, big church, they're amazing, they are loving it. 50% of their people sign up for a small group and they're killing it, right? We got like over 100% right now of our Sunday morning attendance in a community group. That's amazing because you guys are more committed to your weekly groups than Sunday mornings. But some of you still may be on the fence. And I, I want to help you know like, hey, we want you to have friendships. And when you come to your small group, our, our, our goal is that you come ready to participate. There's no spectators, right? What are you going to bring? Like we want all our community groups to be sharing a meal this, this fall. What can you bring? Can you bring the cheese, the taco meat, the, the tortillas, a dessert? Can you, are you ready to show up and pray? Are you ready to, to, to show up and discuss you know, the, the, the biblical text? Are you ready with a word of prophecy? You know, what is that thing, you know, discernment, you're, you're coming? We want no spectators in our community groups. As we wrap up here, I was, I was thinking through some possible objections to being in a group. Number one, I'm not married with kids, so I don't think I would fit in. I get it. We have a lot of kids in our group. Like our Thursday night group, we have like 23 kids and 15 adults. That's a lot of kids. So maybe that's not the group you want to be in if you don't have kids and you feel like, okay. But we have a Wednesday night group, and as of now, no kids in that group, nine adults. They're either empty nesters, their kids are grown up, or 20-somethings who don't have kids yet, right? So maybe you're like, that's the group I want to be in. But here's the thing, too, is that what unites us in Christ is so much stronger than what divides us. And so even being in a group with people in a different life stage than you can be such a blessing. Like I loved last Thursday, or last year, our Thursday night group, uh, we had, we had Brent and Sandy and Mel, and we've got the Halls and the Fodsteads, and we're different phases of life, and we're learning from each other because we're not just 
with people who are in the same life stage as us. It gives us a broader perspective, right? That's a good thing, to be in community with others who aren't exactly like you. Now, again, if you're like, no, no, I really, really want to be in a small group with people in my same stage, that's great. You know, we've got a Tuesday night group and Thursday night group with kids coming out of our ears. That's a good one for those people, right? I don't have time for a weekly group. Again, I get it. Our, Our calendars are maxed out. But here's the truth, is we make time for what's important, right? And so, is this important to you? Well, if it is, you will make time for it. Number three, I've tried groups before and it wasn't a great experience. I get that too. I've been in one or two small groups, and I'll admit, one or two of them were here at Mosaic, where halfway through the semester, is like, this is not going well. Like, just the vibe, the group, the chemistry, it just was not a good fit. And there's one time, here, even here at Mosaic, where I was like, man, I feel like I've lost all my mojo as a community group leader. Like, this community group is just awful. It just happened to be that mix of people. I'm just being real, okay? Next fall, it was great. It was awesome. Like, sometimes you just try a group. It's not the right fit. It's not the right people. It's just whatever it is, right? Try a different one. Try, try another one. What if my community group is filled with a bunch of weirdos, right? Maybe you're the weirdo. Exactly, right? And everyone else is normal. There's a great book that says everyone's normal until you get to know them. We're all weird, okay? Like, get over yourself. Like, they're not that much weirder than you, all right? That's, that's, the, that's the deal. Everybody needs somebody. I'm not saying the only thing is to join a community group or Bible study. But do you have somebody who's helping you walk with Christ, who's admonishing you, encouraging you, exhorting you? Do you have somebody you can go to when you're hurting, when you're broken, when you feel like you're, you're at your max? Everybody needs somebody. There are people in this church that I am so thankful for that I would have given up a long time ago without them. I'll never forget, about five years ago, one of my good friends, Darren, got diagnosed with a really horrible version of cancer. And part of my story is my best friend died of cancer in sixth grade. And so I had this weird reaction where I didn't really want to go and like see him or pray for him because it, it was like too fresh still from my childhood friendship. And there was a prayer meeting for Darren in another church. And Ryan Holland, he's like, hey, I'm coming to pick you up. Because he knew I needed to be there. And he picked me up and brought me to that prayer meeting. It was so good. I'll never forget that. Two years ago, when I had like a complete emotional breakdown because of COVID and just it was so hard, I'll never forget Josh Olson coming in and sitting on the floor with me while I couldn't get off the ground for over an hour. And him just rubbing my back and telling me how much he loved me. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that just a couple days later, after that moment, when the church so graciously said, hey, Eric, take the whole month off. Just, just be. It's been a tough season. And Josh McDermott, our guitar player over here, he came and he cooked us up California steak fajitas that were so good and margaritas. And it was such a gift. And I will never forget Josh doing that. When someone shows up and cooks for you, when someone shows up and sits with you, when someone shows up and offers to pick you up, to take you where you need to go. See, everybody needs somebody. Pastors, leaders, small group leaders, married, single, parents, non-parents. We all need somebody, amen? And the final thing before I invite the band up is the truth is that Jesus wants to be that somebody to you too. 
See, we are in desperate need of community with each other, but also our first and primary and greatest need is a relationship with our creator, with God. And Jesus says, I wanna be that friend to you that never leaves you, never forsakes you, that will always be with you, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, that if you have guilt and shame, he will exchange that and give you his peace, his love, his joy, his hope, that you can be fully loved, fully known, beyond all comprehension. I know many of you have made that decision and you're faithfully following Jesus. But before we close our service today, I wanna give you the opportunity. If you've not made that decision to follow Jesus, the Bible's very simple. It says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart, if you choose to follow him, to confess that you are a sinner in need of a savior and believe in his work on the cross, that his work on the cross pays for all your sins, the Bible says you will be saved. You'll be welcomed into his family and he'll be a friend to you that will never leave you or forsake you. Before we do that, I just want to invite you to close your eyes. I'm gonna give you the opportunity to respond to that and then we're gonna go out of her singing. Uh, this morning, if, if, if you just feeling a tug and you've never crossed that line of faith to give your life to Jesus, I wanna give you just that opportunity. And you can pray just a very simple prayer. It's not the whole conversation you need to have with God, but it's a start and just say, Jesus, I give you my life. And you can just pray that quietly to yourself if you want, just Jesus, I give you my life. And, it, and it'll start that conversation. It'll start this journey of following God. And if you made that decision, I'd love to talk with you. You can mark it on your connection card. You can mark it on our online connection card. And here's the thing too, is maybe right now in this moment, you're not ready. But maybe tonight, as you're laying in bed, you're gonna realize, I need to make that decision to follow Jesus. If tonight or some other time or any other time you choose to, to make that decision to follow Jesus, I'd love to hear about it. We'd love to hear about it, to pray with you, give you your next steps, to, to walk with you and help you know what it means to follow Jesus. So I'm just gonna pray for us as a group and then our band's gonna lead us in one final song. God, thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And then he rose again and then he, he breathed on his disciples and he went to heaven and he sent his spirit. And now we are your body here on earth and we are your church. So God, give us just a vision to live together in unity in you and with each other. God, help us to know that we need each other. Help us to do the hard work of, of reconciliation. And, and, and when we upset each other or when there's disagreements, God, that we would do that work to, to work through it, that we would be faithful to each other and to you. And God, I pray for those maybe in this room who aren't quite ready yet to make that decision to follow you, that God, you just help them know this is a place where they can ask their questions. This is a place where they can belong even before they believe. But ultimately, we believe the best way to live is following you, God. And God, I pray for anyone who made the decision this morning that they would know that once they put their faith and trust in you, it's done. They are sealed in you. Their salvation is assured. They are a son and daughter in you. God, I just pray for anyone in this room this morning, who anyone online who, who's even struggling with that idea of, of are they really saved? God, I pray that you would just Give them that assurance in their heart, mind, and soul that right now that if they've 
choosing to follow you, if they confess their sins, that they are saved. They don't need to, to worry about their salvation. They don't need to work for it. But God, that your love covers them. God, I pray that all of us would know that you are a friend who will never leave us or forsake us, that you're always with us. Even when we don't feel you, that we would know that you are there. And God, I pray that every one of us would also just know that we need others in our life to walk with us, to journey with us, to to share our our highs and, and weep with us when our lows. God, I thank you personally for people like Ryan Holland and and Josh McDermott and Josh Olson and Matt and so many others in this church who've been there for me. God, I pray that everyone in this room would have that same experience, that have someone walking with them, uh, picking them up when they need to go someplace, uh, cooking them food when they need it, uh, sitting with them when they're in sorrow and brokenness. Thank you, God, for your gift of community that in you it's different than any other kind of community in the world. Be with us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand? We're going to go out of here singing. Those who want to give uh, in person, most of you give online, but there will be a box back there or a basket or something. You can drop off your offering there and also your connection card. If you have not filled out a connection card, we encourage you to fill out one of those, either a physical one or online. It's super easy, mymosaicchurch.com. You can fill out a prayer request. Our prayer team meets at our ministry center Wednesday mornings from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. And we pray over those requests. We want to be praying for you. We're also fasting and praying as a church uh, on Wednesday mornings, asking God to give us a permanent home. And we're believing that that he was gonna answer that sometime. And so uh, in faith, we are asking. There are also people in our church who are praying about a spouse. We're praying and believing they're gonna find someone um, to walk with them uh, in life. And people in our congregation who desperately wanna be parents and hasn't happened yet. And we're praying and fasting for that. Uh, So again, fill that connection card. And uh, may you know that God loves you so, so much that Jesus is a friend who will never leave you or forsake you, and that we as the body of Christ are united in him, and that we all need each other. Let's go out of here singing. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.